0: Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it!
1: Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Final Drive. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins joining you this afternoon. And what a glorious and beautiful day it is at Mobile, Alabama. We're ready for some South Alabama football tonight as I am coming to you live from Hancock-Whitney Stadium. Sight of tonight's Sun Belt Conference matchup between the South Alabama Jaguars and the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Of course, the Golden Eagles only 90 miles away from Mobile, Alabama and their fan base, even though they're one in five, are always known to travel well. And when you have this close of a robbery, it is great for football. And Nick Wiggins, I tell you what, my brother, tonight, 630 ESPN 2. There are other college football games that will be on, but probably none bigger than being on the big station and having the opportunity to showcase all of your talent to the entire country.
2: Yeah, man. Uh, you know, we've talked about it before. This is the time where there's a football game on just about every single day. And this is one of those games where... Southern Miss. Look, a lot of people that I went to high school with and know around this area, Southern Miss is one of the schools on their list, if not the school they go to. So there's definitely a real local rivalry between these teams. And Southern Miss having a little bit of an off year, 1-5. So this is a game where, you know, South, you are the team playing your game tonight. You're not really competing against any other games that are on TV. So this is a game you got to win because look, the home crowd's going to be there, out there supporting you, and you know, it's time to establish that consistency for South Alabama by going out and getting this win over Southern Miss, which I think we're all expecting.
1: Yeah, we have a great show scheduled for you today. Aaron Freeman scheduled to join us to talk about the Atlanta Falcons, and I know, Nick, you'll be intrigued to to hear his thoughts about your Dirty Birds and them moving forward, and I know you and Jim Nagy had a nice discussion the other day about your quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons and also 4 o'clock. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC, will be with us to talk about what's going on in the Southeastern Conference, the matches, matchups from this past week, this upcoming week, and Doug Conkle, Jag Jungle, will be joining us along the hour of 4.30. And at 5 to 6 o'clock, Chavez Furniture, Talking Football Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner, always joining us on that Talking Football Tuesday. So a great show scheduled for you and mentioned setting the table for the South Alabama Jaguars. And one year ago, not even one year ago, bowl season, actually, Dick, you saw one Frank Gore Jr. Mm -hmm. set a historic bowl rushing record right here at Hancock Whitney Stadium in the bowl game versus Rice, and he went crazy. And this season, been kind of a slower one for him. 103 carries for 397 yards and only four touchdowns. And when you almost rush for almost 300-plus yards in one bowl game alone, and through your first six, you're looking at only having 397, it it's probably goes to show why Southern Miss isn't where they would like to be record-wise.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I I remember that bowl game because there was a viral clip where Frank Gore's aunt, I think it was, (laughs) you've seen this, Corey, where she like came into the frame while they were taking their (laughs) little picture and he shoved her out the way. (laughs) So, look, hopefully he won't be shoving the South Alabama linebackers and defensive tackles out the way like he was his aunt, and they'll be able to wrap him up and continue him having a – you know, pretty low-key season compared to last year where, you know, they did make a bowl game, and it's not looking like they're going to repeat that this year.
1: No, I mean, you do have that Frank Gore Jr. Yes, that is the same Frank Gore Jr. whose father had a tremendously long Hall of Fame NFL career, and we talked about that FBS record having 329 yards on 21 carries here at Hancock Whitney Stadium in the bowl game, that made it a very special moment for him. But Southern Miss at one and five at the bottom of the Sun Belt Conference standings there in the division. Troy leads the top of division two and one, five and two overall. South Alabama one and one and three and three. So this is a very big ball game for the Jaguars. And you mentioned going on the road, winning fifty-five to seven. That was way back on the 7th of October, some 10 days ago. So you kind of look at trying to rest and recap and get a little healthy. Sometimes when you do have that bye week, it comes at an inopportune time because right when you get to get your feet under you again, you kind of slow down the prox- process and have to find yourself. And what you're hoping for, Kane Wamek tonight is to jump on Southern Miss early and never give their fans – an opportunity to to get involved in this game and to get, be excited about coming over here to Mobile.
2: Yeah, that's right. I'm looking at the game from last year. So South Alabama was able to get that win against Southern Miss, 27 to 20. So pretty close. Uh, Carter Bradley, uh, two interceptions. Braylon McReynolds, amazing game running the ball and receiving the ball. Um. And Frank Gore, you know, about what he's averaging this year, you know, three yards a carry and a touchdown. So I think that South Alabama should be able to beat Southern Miss by more than a touchdown this year. But, you know, when these little rivalry games get going, you know, who's to say in Southern Miss, they they played their bowl game here in Mobile last year, right?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, versus
2: Rice. Yeah, so they're comfortable, you know, playing out here at Hancock-Whitney, so...
1: I'm looking forward to to this game tonight, and and I will say this: the fans are getting a treat, being able to see local product Colin Lacy really produce. I mean, he's one of the top wide receivers in the country right now. Thirty-nine receptions, seven hundred twenty-three yards, six touchdowns, basically averaging over one hundred and fifteen yards receiving per game and when you double team him you're also asking LaDamian Webb to really be able to be that banging back and he has close to 500 yards on the season so I'm really looking for the Jaguars to get it in gear and not be like someone in the app says the Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde that's kind of what you touched on a little bit Nick about the real South Alabama we want them to stand up
2: yeah definitely and and, you know who is the real south alabama and i think tonight is a good game to prove that they're not jekyll and hyde and that they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat i mean look south alabama yes here they are sitting at three and three but i mean you know they played james madison they only lost by one score you know eight points and james madison is five and oh so it's not like they're 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 losing games that you don't want them to lose, but I mean they're not getting blown out really by any team so far this year. Every game is close, and it's it's just these little mental errors and you know the random big chunk play that they give up that has them sitting here at three and three and not you know having a winning record. But I think they'll be able to take care of business and come out to four and three after tonight.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you there, and also when you look across the country in college football we mentioned yesterday Alabama not being able to to move up in the AP top 25 poll and there's definitely going to be a shake up this weekend because of the matchups that we are going to be looking at with Ohio State and Penn State and th- those are our big time top 25 matchups that we will be looking at and you know Alabama at 11 Tennessee at 17 if you're not able to do it in dominating fashion. I, I think that you still have an opportunity to move up in the polls for sure. And, you know, the status of Riley Leonard given by Duke is kind of like a day-to-day basis, and I know they would love to have Riley Leonard as the Duke Blue Devils will travel to Tallahassee. And Duke's 5-1, and one, that only loss coming when Riley was injured against Notre Dame, and – if you want to play against the best in the country the competitor in you whether you're 100 percent or not you want to try to give it that old college try so to speak i would love to see riley suit up and go to battle with the seminoles down there this weekend and have an opportunity to get that win back that they didn't get against notre dame
2: yeah i mean you know you hope riley leonard's healthy i'm I can't remember what the exact injury was, but I'm surprised that he's coming back, you know, this quickly like. when he was walking out on crutches, you know. But, I mean, if he can play, good on you. And, look, even if for some reason he's not able to suit up, that's it's still good that, hey, you know, that means he's definitely pretty dang close, you know, to playing. So that's good, you know, especially for his draft stock, right? I mean, I know for a little bit Riley Leonard, you know, he was all over the Pat McAfee show. We were talking about him you know, not doing his homework and stuff, so it's always fun when a guy from our area is getting that national publicity like that, especially when it's a guy as nice uh, as a Riley Leonard. You can ask anyone that knows him and works with him. They all say, man, he's one of the nicest guys, really genuine, so I I hope that he is able to play because that'll make it a very good game, and if not, I I think, uh, I don't think they'll be able to pull it out probably, but with him, it, it definitely increases the odds
1: well it really does and I, I know that coach Mike Elko the head football coach of the Blue Devils yesterday did say in his weekly press conference that Riley Leonard would be day to day and Duke had the bye week last week which is always great and prior to that they played without Riley in a 24 to 3 win over North Carolina State so I just think that that will be an opportunity for Riley, if he is at all able to go, I would definitely want to go with him for sure when you're traveling down to Tallahassee to take on the number four team in the country, and that's big time, and, I mean, and Florida that's,
2: State. That's really, I mean, that's Florida State's toughest game, because, you know, here they're, they have number 16 ranked Duke, if they have Riley Leonard, that definitely becomes their toughest game, and. You know, then it's Wake Forest, then Pittsburgh, all unranked. The now unranked Miami, who seems to be slipping after the Cristobal debacle that I'm sure will be talked about forever. Then they're playing North Alabama, who we're pretty familiar with. And then, they're you know, they're going to close the season out with Florida, who's who's their own version of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. But, man, Duke might be you know, the one team to kind of potentially get in the way and damper Florida State's college football playoff hopes because, I mean, right now from how I'm looking at it and how Florida State is playing, uh, I think I think they're going to – I think they might get there.
1: Well, I, I will say this. When you look at the two scares that Florida State has been in, that being a two-point win when they sk- sk- skated by Boston College by two points and then – with Clemson not being able to convert at the end of the game, those are two games that could easily have been lost by the Seminoles. So they've kind of been flirting with fire and disaster a little bit there. So I am looking forward to this matchup along with Utah at USC, even though, you know, that's kind of our our Pac-12 late night, or I'd say 6 o'clock game for us here to be able to to see what's going on in the Pac-12. But for – Alabama to be able to, to play in the third Saturday of October and regain a little bit of traction going into their bye week as they prepare for the LSU Tigers. I think that you would just have to see a complete performance by the Crimson Tide this coming Saturday against Tennessee in order to, to crack that top ten. And it's something that Alabama's not used to being outside of the top 10 nick it's something that for the last 10 to 12 years just has not happened and being out of the top 10 the last four to five weeks really outside of that texas loss it's something that alabama fans and the crimson tide faithful are not used to seeing. yeah
2: another thing that i think alabama fans aren't used to seeing is you know how often alabama cannot put together a complete game Mm -hmm. you know they can't the only really dominating win they have this year is against Mississippi State. That's it. Every other game has been neck and neck all the way through, including that South Florida game that I'm sure you remember quite well. So, look, I think Tennessee, I think Alabama at home should be able to take care of business. But, man, that LSU game uh, does kind of... You know, if you are an Alabama fan, I think you should be pretty worried about, and, and really, I guess the Tennessee game, too, because, you know, no one thought that ar- the Arkansas game was going to look like that, right? No. And then no. all of a sudden, there we are sitting there, we're like, oh, dang, is this is this really happening? So, yeah. I think Alabama, they're just going to be one of those teams where it's gonna, you're going to have to watch all four quarters. There's no more like, ah, you know, they're up 30-0 <laughs> at halftime, <laughs> see you later, right? Um, but it's 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 gonna be a close game it's gonna be a tight game but I have to give the edge to Alabama and their defense and I mean it's gonna be an ugly game but I think Alabama should be able to pull it out and then if they were if they win that game then they'll be looking at being in the top 10 again and then you know potentially that can maybe juice up your team you know we're back in the top 10 you know you only have to win a few more games get to the SEC championship and You know, potentially, you know, maybe I'm borrowing Corey's crimson shades here. You might be able to get back into that playoff.
1: Well, I know this. It's just one of those situations to where you want that dominant performance. And and when you do, look, we want you to join our conversation in the Sound of Mobile app. It's a free download to any Android or Apple device that you may have. You can also give us a call, 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us, 251-694-1055. And we do like to correspond with you in the app. Alabama and Ole Miss, I see someone in the app says, yeah, I thought they handled Ole Miss pretty well too. Not necessarily there in the first half, because if you recall, Alabama did struggle in the first half and found a way to get things done defensively in the second half. And because it was the defense that really stepped up to the occasion in the first half, it made it so much easier once the offense finally found that opening and was able to get that lead. And the defense did a great job of clamping down on Ole Miss and and holding them to what they did. And also you, you have people that are Troy fans in the app. James Madison killed South Alabama. Yes, James Madison is 6-0. and They're a really, really great football team who is making the transition, and because of it, they're probably not even going to be able to go to a bowl game because yeah, of their transition. Cool. What, what, the def-
2: what is the definition of killed? I mean, yes, they were down 24-7 to at halftime. They tried to make a little comeback. They end up losing by eight. You know, they get the ball one more time and can put a drive together. You're in the p- position to send a game to overtime. Is that mm-hmm. getting killed? I mean, no, when I, when I, I think, think of a team w- getting killed, I think at the end of the game you have no chance of making any type of comeback. And, you know, you're down 14 with, you know, four minutes left. You're down multiple touchdowns. I don't think a, w- a one-score game is getting killed.
1: No, statistically speaking, it didn't look pretty for South Alabama. And you go back to that. Pick six, the the tip ball that James Madison was able to take to the house. I think that South Alabama dug themselves a hole and was able to stick around with the tough James Madison team. But, again, this James Madison team, clearly the cream of the crop right now in the Sunbelt Conference. And South Alabama will have an opportunity to make its mark and to kind of say, look, we are not Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. We're going to go ahead and we're going to pound you. We're going to hit you in the face, and we're going to take care of business. And – on the other side of this break, Nick, we'll, we'll bring a little breaking news out of okay. the NFL. Of course, last night we saw a former South Alabama Jaguar versus a former South Alabama Jaguar. Both of them made news and headlines last night in Monday Night Football. So we'll talk about that on the other side of the break, along with the breaking news of another former Alabama Crimson Tide member making their mark back in the NFL. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBowne and Nick Wiggins coming to you live from Hancock-Whitney Stadium here on the campus of South Alabama.
4: War Eagle, this is Butch
5: Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. You're listening to WNSP. 5.5.
1: 5.5. Corey Bounty along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And this afternoon, we have Aaron Freeman coming up at 3.30 to discuss the Atlanta Falcons and where they're going to go here moving forward. And Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC, joining us at 4 o'clock. Doug Conkle, Jag Jungle, joining us at 4.30 and 5 to 6. Chavez Furniture, Talking Football Tuesday. We'll be here with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner, so you want to make sure you stick around for today. All of today's action on WNSP 105.5. And, Nick, when we were going to the break, we were talking about the Cowboys over the Chargers. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the breaking news in the NFL today. Julio Jones returns to the NFL. One-year deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. Julio is 34 years old seven-time Pro Bowler, and we've seen him bounce around since he has been with the Atlanta Falcons. We've seen him with the Titans. We've seen it with the Bucks. But Julio, you know at 34 years of age, he still has some gas in that tank, and what you have is an Alabama wide receiver connection now, Devontae Smith, Julio Jones, and Jalen Hurts also. I still think Julio can get it done for the Philadelphia Eagles and help them a lot.
2: Uh I don't know. Look, I love Julio Jones. You know, I'm a big Falcons fan. Julio Jones, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite Falcons of all time. But Julio didn't really do anything in Tampa Bay, Um, you know, with Tom Brady as his quarterback. I think this is maybe more of a locker room type of signing. I think Julio Jones, I mean, he might finish the season with two touchdowns, you know, maybe, maybe 200 yards. He's not coming in and really going to be a big part of that offense. They have an elite tight end. They already have two elite wide receivers, but you add a guy with the character and experience like a Julio Jones, I mean, it can't do anything but help. You know what I mean? Even if he doesn't do anything statistically, it's going to make some form of improvement to that Eagles offense, just having him in that locker room.
1: Yes, a locker room presence is important and I'm not saying he's going to be the go-to wide receiver, but how many double teams is Julio Jones going to demand now at 34 years of age, Nick?
2: I mean, yeah, he's not going to he will never be double teamed.
1: That I can okay. guarantee. Okay. All right. So, if he's able to stay healthy, I just think that that was his biggest problem when he was with the Titans and the Bucs. I mean, he missed 7 games because of hamstring injuries. So, I mean, in 2022, he still you know, just had 24 receptions in 10 regular season games with the Bucks, and I know that when they did lose to the Cowboys in the NFC playoffs, he did have those seven catches for 74 yards. So I, I think that if he's targeted three or four times a game and can come away with two or three catches. On the game, I still think he is good for that's, more than two touchdowns.
2: That, that's high hopes, man. That's high hopes because, you know, like my guy in the app is saying, you're expecting him to potentially be healthier and, and you know, be more durable a year older now than when he was in
1: Tampa Bay. I No contact either, though. He's been rested, so there's a difference. Yeah, when your yeah. body is rested, it makes a difference.
2: Yeah, but – also, being 34 years old, and, you know, that makes a difference as well. How but look, old was
1: Brady when he won a Super Bowl? Oh, How come old on. Was that's, Brady?
2: that's different, right? How old was How Sebastian old was he, Janikowski though? when he
1: kicked his How last field goal?
2: <laughs> How old was he? <laughs>
1: what, 42? You see what I'm i don't know? It, it, 39, 40 years old, you're winning a Super Bowl. So, no. you know, when you look at that, age ain't nothing but a number, my brother. Well, and I tell right. you what. Aaron Freeman coming up next to talk about your Dirty Birds, Julio's old (laughs) team, his original team, coming up next on The Final Drive.
4: This is Reese Dismukes. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP.
1: Welcome back to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. It is a Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday from 5 o'clock till 6 o'clock and... We're looking forward to having Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner both join us to talk all of the college and NFL and college football really at the forefront of – Tracy and Scott, being former Alabama and Auburn stars, can kind of give us the 4 on what they saw this weekend. So you don't want to miss that from 5 to 6 o'clock. And you don't want to miss our next guest making his debut here on the final drive is Aaron Freeman, locked on Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons, coming off a 24-16 loss to the Washington Commanders. And want to welcome in. Mr. Freeman. Aaron, how's it going this afternoon?
6: It's going uh, pretty good. Uh, i would be better if the Falcons were coming off a more impressive performance now.
1: Understood, understood. They'll have a chance to get back in divisional play here versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But let's go back and look at the Falcons and how they were able to kind of be – Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde has been the word of the day for us here on the final drive. The Falcons at three and three, three and one at home. Desmond Ritter, three hundred and seven yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. And Bijan Robinson wasn't able to bust any big ones. And you do look at the Atlanta receiver corps, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and Bijan out of the backfield. You do have weapons, just weren't able to put it together there in the second quarter. Yeah, I think the the
6: positive you can take away from this Washington game coming off of the heels of the Houston game is that it does feel like the Falcons are doing a much better job getting Drake London and Kyle Pitts involved in the offense. That was a big criticism over the first four games of the season where it just felt like those guys were being sporadically used in the offense. But you, you're right. Bijan had probably his quietest game, Uh, to date Um, and it just feels like when you can get all three of those guys going that's when the Falcons offense is going to be at their best
2: Aaron look I've been critical of Desmond Ritter up to this point in the season and I thought he looked amazing against Houston and now I mean he's throwing for 300 yards 47 attempts but he does have those three picks and those delay of games so I mean, does Desmond Ritter really have the juice to potentially be the guy? Or was a lot of those kind of mistakes more schematically on Arthur Smith?
6: I think, you know, it's, it's tough because, like, some some plays, some weeks, some drives, it looks like, yeah, he does have what it takes to be the guy, and then sometimes you don't see it. And that I want to just sort of – Attribute to the inconsistency of being a young quarterback that's only started 10 games and expecting him to be as consistent as other young quarterbacks that are probably a a lot more talented than him, like a C.J. Stroud or someone like that, is is probably not realistic at this point in time. But I I do feel like, in a lot of ways, the Falcons need to get back to the identity that they built last year and, and wanted to build this year. Which is being that dominant run team. Because I think the plan all along was we'll run the football and that will give Ritter the room to grow, where we won't need him to have to carry the offense, which is kind of what he's been forced to have to do the last two weeks. And you've gotten the ups and downs that I think come with a young quarterback that isn't really prepared to throw the ball, you know, 40 plus, 50 times a game and be asked to throw you know, for 300-plus yards every single week and expect him to give you the reliable results there. So I I, I do feel like, you know, it's still unknown in terms of Ritter, in terms of the long term, but I think in the short term, if the Falcons can get back to being that run-first identity and being effective doing that, then I think some of these issues may get mitigated.
1: Let's talk about, the Atlanta Falcons in the NFC South and the entire (laughs) NFC South losing on Sunday. And I know this is a division last year that wasn't spectacular and stood out above all the other divisions in the NFL. But the likelihood that the entire division loses last Sunday and the importance of looking at a huge divisional matchup upcoming with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
6: Yeah, this is going to be big for the Fox. This is where they can, you know, keep their season on track by getting another divisional win. Uh, And, you know, I don't know exactly how the the tiebreakers and whatnot will work, but, you know, I imagine that that should help propel them into first place in the NFC South. And if they can do that, then all they got to do is continue to hold serve at that point. And when they get later in the season, when they got a lot more divisional games, uh, where they can sort of, um, you know, go out there and win the division. But, you know, I think most people went into the season not having high expectations for the South. I think Tampa Bay has probably exceeded people's expectations. I think New Orleans has maybe been a little underwhelming. Carolina, I think, has been a little underwhelming. I feel like the Falcons are at 3-3 three and three is, is probably where I think most people thought they would be at this point, but it's been a lot of highs and lows. So the NFC South is... is basically anybody's race, and I think Atlanta has a great opportunity ahead of them in what should be a tough matchup on the road against Tampa Bay to sort of uh, you know push themselves on the line.
2: You know, we talk about ups and downs, highs and lows, the inconsistencies of Atlanta's offense, but one you know, part of the team that has been incredibly consistent has been the defense. You know, you bring in Calais Campbell, who just got his 100th sack. You got Jesse Bates. You bring in the former Lions first-round pick, Jeff Akuda. Just talk a little bit about that Falcons defense and what they've done to establish themselves as one of the better defenses in the NFL.
6: Yeah, it's been impressive what they've been able to do, and I think a lot of it is owed to the – spending spree that they went on this offseason to really upgrade that unit that has been a sore spot for the team for you know seemingly a, a whole decade um with jesse bates kind of you could probably make the case as the sort of the mvp of the season uh, of the defense through the, the first third of the season david on has been a really nice pickup on the interior you saw calais campbell uh have his hundredth sack and uh, we have his best game of, of the year last week against Washington. Kate Ellis has been a sort of stabilizing force on that interior uh, at the linebacker position in the middle of the defense. Um, and, you know, Jeff Okuda has been very good since he's come back from his injury over the last three weeks as well. So it, it does feel like, you know, this defense owes a lot of its success to a lot of the new faces, and you still got high-level play from players like Brady Jarrett and, you know, A.J. Terrell, among others. Um, So it it, it has been a breath of fresh air that the defense has been able to keep this team competitive in every single game and, you know, just need the offense to kind of take advantage of the numerous opportunities that the defense has given them in order to win that. And that's been owed to some of the inconsistency that you've been talking about. but The defense has consistently been able to keep them playing winning football um, and uh, the hope is that that will continue. And I, I don't even know if the defense has fully reached their their potential. Because we saw the pass rush get home against Sam Howell to get five sacks, but they haven't generally been that dominant a pass rush. And I still think you haven't seen the best versions of Grady Jarrett and some of these other players that are playing at a high level. And I think they could play at an even higher level. Uh, so I feel like this defense still has you know the arrow is pointing up for what this unit can be
1: we're speaking with aaron freeman host of locked on falcons dealing with the atlanta falcons they're three and three three and one at home and you just mentioned some of the defense and how did atlanta become better this year i think it is through drafting of people like demarco hellams who in the preseason and through the first few weeks has been a pleasant surprise for this atlanta falcons defense and you add that on top of a dynamic rookie and Bijan robinson that's a pretty good method for success and building on the success of this franchise. Yes,
6: yeah, it's, it's been nice to see Howard come along. He's been getting some work in recent weeks, sort of working as the sixth defensive back in their dime defense, and that's something that the Falcons need to, you know, learn about Demarco Hall, Right, the, the knock on him coming out of Alabama was he wasn't always great in terms of his deep coverage responsibility. We know. He can be that thumper, that enforcer against the run, uh and over the middle defense. But the talk need to find out, you know, what else can this guy do? And so far has been so good. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. And even though Bijan didn't have his best performance, you know, in week six against Washington, he's been, you know, pretty much outstanding every other week, been making highlight real plays, uh and, and been sort of the true difference maker that I think a lot of people Knew he was capable of being uh, coming into the league and, and why he was, you know, touted as this, you know, the word is often overused, but I think it's been fitting with Bijan, you know, a generational type of running back in terms of all the dynamic things that he can do and head to the offense, And hopefully they can continue to get more of that as the season unfolds.
2: There's been some breaking news today about a former Falcon, you know, going and joining a, uh, conference rival, but there was also a little bit of the news story this week about potentially some new Falcons being the sons of Dion Sanders and how he wants them both to pair up. He's pulling a little LeVar ball and trying to speak into existence. Both those guys going to the Falcons. What what was your reaction when you saw that video kind of start to get showed around Twitter?
6: Yeah, I thought that was um – it was interesting, right? You know, like, I'll I'll be curious at what Shador does, the quarterback, his son, uh, after this year, because I think he's got another year of eligibility. And I would imagine that he would be, if he was to stick in school for another year uh, and wait it out, you know, he would be a, a prominent Heisman candidate as well as a potential front runner for potentially being the number one pick in the 2025 draft. I feel like. Caleb Williams of USC, and, and Drake May of North Carolina probably are well ahead of him in this upcoming 2024 draft. So I, I'm, part of me is wondering if, if Shadir Sanders is even an option for a team like Atlanta or any other NFL team in this upcoming draft. But I know Shiloh, uh, the safety, certainly we're talking about DeFarco Hellams, but like I don't think the Falcons would be hurt by adding another talented defensive back by the, name, by the last name Sanders. It worked out the last time for them uh, when they did that, you know, over 30 years ago. So I wouldn't be against that idea. So, you know, um, I, I like, I like you know, where Deion said that we'll see if, if that's in the cards. We're, we're, you know, we got a lot of football to be played left before we get into that, though.
1: Aaron Freeman, our guest this afternoon on the final drive. Locked on Falcons is where you can find him. And we love your predictions here for the next couple of games, that division matchup with Tampa Bay upcoming. And I know that's huge anytime you're looking at that divisional play. And then moving outside of that one, they do have the Tennessee Titans. So back-to-back matchups there, not in the division and in the division both. How do you think the Atlanta Falcons in these next two games Will they be two and oh, one and one, oh and two? What are your thoughts on that?
6: Yeah, I'm 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 probably leaning towards one and one. Um, we know this team has struggled on the road. I uh, I think I saw a stat earlier this week that they haven't won a road game since week three of last year, so it's been over a calendar year uh since that. Um but you know, I feel like they should be able to get in one of these games. I feel like given the con- the question marks that the Titans are currently dealing with at the quarterback position. What is Ryan Tannehill's injury status? Are they going to play Malik Willis? Um, I feel like that's probably looking at these two games the more winnable matchup. If uh, Tannehill is out, and even if Tannehill plays, he hasn't played particularly well this year. So that feels like if the Falcons' offense struggles on the road as they have done consistently, like they could they could beat Tennessee like in a ten-seven type of ball game. That I think would be much more achievable against Tennessee than it would be against Tampa Bay. So if I, I, I feel like they should get one of these wins. And right now it does look like Tennessee's probably the more winnable game, but both of these matchups are going to be very tough for this Falcon team.
1: Aaron, I appreciate your time this afternoon here on WNSP and the final drive. 105.5, tell us how everyone can follow all of your Falcons coverage for diehard fans like my partner, Nick Wiggins, who thinks the Falcons every single year can go undefeated.
6: <laughs> yeah, uh, he can He can check out um, my stuff on Lockdown Falcons Monday through Friday on uh, YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Thank you so very much, Aaron. We look forward to talking to you here as the season continues to unfold. Appreciate it, guys. Aaron Freeman, locked on Falcons. Nick, there you have it. Yeah. One and one, you dirty birds, man. He didn't say two and oh. He said it, it's going to be one and one. What are your thoughts about that, Wiggins? Uh, I mean, look, we, we're coming up on a
2: very easy, winnable slate of games. It's going to be Tampa Bay. Then Titans without Tannehill. Remember, he got carted off in that London game. So will we see some Will Levis? I don't know. Uh, And then it's the Vikings who are looking pretty down. No Justin Jefferson. And then it's the Cardinals. So, I mean, those are all pretty winnable games. The Buccaneers, I think he's right, are probably the toughest and might be able to get the job done playing that game in Tampa Bay. But, you know, look, like, like you said to him, man, I got hope. That's a, that's a ta- I think we got the most talented roster in the NFC South. It's just, can we get all the pieces to work together?
1: Well, we'll talk about not only your Falcons moving forward, of course, the breaking news in the NFL today. Julio Jones back in the NFL, the former Falcon, now with the Philadelphia Eagles signing that one-year deal with Philly catching passes from... A former Alabama quarterback, Jalen Hurts, and Devontae Smith having a great mentor, like you mentioned, Nick, being in the locker room, too, ways to carry yourself is a great thing for the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll talk a little bit, I teased it earlier, about Jalen Tolbert and Gerald Everett, two former South Alabama Jaguars on Monday Night Football. We'll talk about them, specifically the game on Monday night last night, next on the final drive
0: on WNSP 105.5. Hey,
1: this is Jake Coker, quarterback at Alabama. And while I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte along with Nick Wiggins and I'm coming to you from hancock whitney stadium where south alabama will be taking on the southern miss golden eagles tonight in a key Sun Belt conference matchup for both teams and southern miss trying to end that losing streak south alabama trying to continue its winning ways in Sun Belt conference play and we were talking last night about the cowboys over the chargers 20 to 17 dallas finds a way to move to four and two to kind of redeem themselves from that embarrassing loss to the San Francisco 49ers. 20 penalties last night, Nick Wiggins, but more importantly, when you do look in a tight ball game, former South Alabama wide receiver Jalen Tolbert, he was blocked into the returner, his teammate Kevontae Turpin, and then tried to recover the loose ball and was not able to get it, and the Chargers were able to pounce on it, And then wouldn't you know it, Herbert was able to throw a touchdown to former South Alabama tight end and wide receiver Gerald Everett picked in the 2017 round two draft by the Rams, now playing for the Chargers. But Gerald Everett and Jalen Tolbert, two former South Alabama Jaguars, being connected on kind of the same miscue, one off the muff punt and the other in turn leads to a score right after it by Gerald Everett. I thought that that was pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, it definitely was, and that that was a pretty good game last night. I think Dallas winning not as uh, convincingly as I had predicted, but look, I now you would probably know better than me, but I know that South Alabama, you know, they've had a player get drafted, it seems, just about every year over the past few years, but – I like to think of Gerald Everett as that first South Alabama football player who really made a name for himself in the NFL. Am I missing someone, or was he the first one?
1: No, when you do look at Gerald Everett, I can't recall whether he was the first one or not to be drafted and, and actually stick to that roster. But when you do have someone that has an opportunity to to, to be and compete and and win a Super Bowl that's off your school, especially a school that's fairly young, to Division I football as South Alabama, I think maybe in its 10th or 11th season of football, to to have guys that have been drafted here over and over and over again for a relatively young program, that's great stuff. And to see, unfortunately, it was Jalen Tolbert's miscue Gerald Everett able to capitalize. Still great to see two South Alabama Jaguars on the big screen in front of everybody last night. And coming up next, we'll talk to Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. We'll whip around the SEC from last week to this week's matchups with our guy, Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. The final drive from Hancock Whitney Stadium. I'm here. The Sound of Mobile presents... For the win!
0: The Final Drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yeah. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win! Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of
1: Mobile app. Number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty. Nick Wiggins joining you on this terrific and beautiful Tuesday afternoon in Mobile, Alabama. I'm on the campus of the University of South Alabama here at Hancock Whitney Stadium I'm waiting for kickoff at 630 of the South Alabama Jaguars taking on the Southern Miss Golden Eagles in a critical Sunbelt Conference matchup tonight national television 630 game so looking forward to to seeing that and we always look forward to hearing from you in our free sound of mobile app you can download that to any android or apple device that you may have and if you're able to do that you're able to correspond with us here on the final drive along with the opening kickoff and the Pete show on friday nights and any other show that we have here on WNSP 105.5. We love hearing from you. You can always call us the old-fashioned way. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. And every Tuesday, we look forward to getting locked into the SEC with our man Chris Gordy. And, Chris, how's everything going for you this afternoon?
5: Uh, It's going good, Corey. You know me, busy time of year traveling, uh, covering the Astros throughout the postseason, still covering all the all of the sec football landscape and uh, keeping up with games there went to a couple games earlier this season going to get to a couple more once the Astros postseason ends here and I'm coming to you live from Globe Life Field so uh, you're at a football stadium I'm out here at at a MLB stadium so we got you
1: covered absolutely covered there and this weekend it was covered. We'll jump right into what I thought was one of the probably least watched games, but the more entertaining game between Florida and South Carolina. Frank Beam, I mean, excuse me, Shane Beamer breaks his foot kicking something after the game in frustration. I know we've all been undefeated and punching the walls or kicking those coolers but shane beamer actually broke his foot after that game kicking something and i know he wanted to kick more than whatever he kicked because his team blew a 10-point lead at home in the fourth quarter against the florida gators
5: well no doubt and it was one of the more entertaining games for those who watched i mean a lot of points scored and great quarterback play on, on both sides Spencer Rattler continues to have a monster year and Graham Mertz to me is like one of the best surprise stories of the SEC this year because, you know, he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks. He's played 80% of his passes. And uh, to me, that's been the most fun to watch, you know, what, what that offense has been able to do. And Billy Napier's actually, you know, winning some games that I think a lot of people thought they would lose. Uh, so they're a real contender here. And they got a couple weeks here to get ready for Georgia. And. Uh, I think that game is actually like right now. If you ask me to predict it, I think it's going to be a lot, a lot closer than maybe people thought. With Georgia losing Brock Bowers and just the way that that run game is going with with Florida and their defense playing really well, um, at least on the season, not so much this past week. But you're right. I mean, for them to, to gut it out and, and come from down ten in the fourth quarter and win that game was a huge road win because, you know, Florida had been, you know, winless on the road prior to that game this season. So, big win for them, but on the South Carolina side of things, man, that's, that's a big loss for South Carolina. And, you know, you look down that schedule and you try to find four more wins, it's hard to find four more wins. So, um, the likelihood of, uh, of the Gamecocks become a bowl eligible and at least getting a 6-6, six and six, I don't know, man. It's going to be really, really difficult. They're going to have to pull up, a, pull up an upset or two down the stretch.
1: Well, I know this, Chris, at SEC Media Days, if you would have told me through the first six weeks, I wouldn't have picked South Carolina being two and four, especially coming off the momentum that they had one year ago. And talking about momentum one year ago, Auburn really didn't have a lot of traction, and they gained some in the hiring of Hugh Freeze. He's been recruiting, outstanding for the Auburn Tigers. The, the, the problem has been quarterback play. No need to hide, duck, and dodge from that. And the offense didn't show up against LSU. Of course, LSU having one of the top and the number one SEC offense totally all around in the conference. And LSU continues to find a way to bounce back and continues to set up that epic showdown here in a couple of weeks with Alabama.
5: Well, it does, and it's, it's, it's been phenomenal to watch, to watch, I mean, nobody has slowed down LSU's offense, really, you know, that second half, week one against Florida State, it, it, they slowed down themselves, I mean, they shot themselves in the foot with so many, you know, drop passes and missed opportunities, but really, ever since that game, this offense has been on a roll, and, you know, Jaden Daniels, the numbers he continues to put up, I keep saying, you know, if they go 6-1 and one down the stretch, and you know, finished not uh, ten and three on the season, which is what RG three did his his last season at Baylor. Uh, he won the Heisman that year. I think Jaden Daniels deserves a Heisman invite if, if LSU continues to play at such a high level, regardless of what their defense is doing. But man, you know, we, we talked about it a week ago. You know, Auburn's past defense been so bad, LSU's uh, or past offense been so bad, LSU's past defense so bad that you know something was going to have to give this past week, and all behold, it was LSU's past defense stepped up and played really well and. Auburn's got a big quarterback problem going on right now. Peyton Thorne is looking like the dud of the, the offseason as far as the transfer portal goes. He has not been good. And, um, you know, look, LSU's made some adjustments. They, they brought in Pete Jenkins, the veteran defensive line coach, to come in and help get a pass rush. They got one this past week, and I think they're making strides. They're not going to be great. They're not going to be considered, you know, even I think top half of the SEC in, in, in you know, elite-level defense. But if they can just be moderately decent, to go with that elite level offense, yeah, LSU's going to have a chance to, to win a bunch of games still down the stretch, and you mentioned that game in uh, three weeks is going to be a monster win in Tuscaloosa against Alabama, so we'll see what they look like, but yeah, I thought that was a monster win. I mean, everybody I talked to last week if said, oh, this one's going to be close between between LSU and Auburn, and lo and behold, LSU wins by 30, uh, hangs 48 on them. I just thought that was, uh, that was a pretty big statement.
1: It really was, and trying to make a big statement, and through three quarters had done so. Alabama jumps all over Arkansas. Looks like there's going to be some roasted or roast beef early, and, and they were going to go ahead and pour the barbecue sauce on the hogs, and then all of a sudden you, you had a late third quarter, fourth quarter meltdown to where it came down to Arkansas having a chance to, to try to steal one in Tuscaloosa for homecoming.
5: Yeah, it was. Uh, look, Alabama's offense is still a work in progress. As good as they were out of the gates, yeah, that second half it was it was ugly. Arkansas was getting stops and then Arkansas was getting the ball and going down the field and scoring with KJ Jefferson. So, um, you know, look, this Alabama team—they're not going to blow people out. That's just not how they're built this year. They're playing a lot of close games, but give them credit—they're finding ways to find to, to find wins. Um, you know, I thought when Arkansas punted the ball was five something left. You thought. All right, well they're gonna have a chance to get the ball back. And kudos to Alabama's offense. Continue to pick up the first downs, move the chains and uh and not put the ball back in KJ Jefferson's hands. So you look you look, they've played closer games than maybe we all thought they would, but the big thing is they're they're still winning these close games, and as long as they keep doing that, uh they're gonna still be in the conversation, win the SEC and make the the national championship.
1: Chris Gordy, our guest this afternoon, host of Locked On SEC and when you look at the A&M-Tennessee game, it was really all it hyped up to be, and I think a lot of that had to do with home field advantage and what Rocky Top and Knoxville can truly mean, and it was a big win for the Volunteers as they prepare for the true third Saturday in October versus the Alabama Crimson Tide. and. They needed a little momentum going into that game, and they're exact. They're going to have exactly what they would like, having an opportunity to beat the eleventh-ranked team in the country in back-to-back seasons, and have a chance to get the footing back in the, their favor.
5: Yeah, first time in his uh, in his coaching career there at Tennessee that Josh Hypo wins the game where he doesn't score thirty points, and I thought that was uh, that was a big feather in his campus. This defense, uh Tennessee defense, is much improved, and They're going to pass rush. I think they're like third or fourth in the country in sacks. James Pierce, uh, Tyler Barron. I mean, those guys, they're they're getting it done. And, uh, man, this is going to be good on good this weekend. I mean, it's it's two really good defenses against one another, and it's two offenses that are good, not great. And so that makes me almost lean to, you know, what's the under? You know, is this one going to be like a 23-20 type game? That's what it feels like. Between Tennessee and Alabama this weekend, but look, this is going to be Alabama's toughest test. I know you lose you lose the game in week two to to, tennis, to, uh, to Texas, but you bounce back. Since uh, these next two games are really going to tell us the metal of what this Alabama team is. Can you beat Tennessee? Can you beat LSU? You do have the advantage. You get them both in Tuscaloosa, but. Uh, Man, this feels like it's going to be a defensive, um, you know, slobber knocker between these two teams. And the way Tennessee's running the football right now, what was it, 232 rush yards against against A&M last week. That's a good Texas A&M defense and defensive front. So – this is going to be a good one, man. I think that, you know, it's it's one of those simple cliches, but the team that, that makes the fewest mistakes I think is going to win this one. But, uh, yeah, Joe Milton, not not playing at the level we thought he would. Everybody kind of thought, okay, you go from Hendon Hooker to Joe Milton, uh, the, this Josh Heupel system is going to keep uh, flying high, but um, not so much so far in the past game. But uh, I think a close one, man. This one is uh, it's going to be good, and it's a great rivalry game for a reason.
1: Let's look at Auburn once again, and Lane Kiffin having an opportunity to visit Jordan Hare, Hugh Freeze playing his old team, and I know that this game, you look at the atmosphere that's at Jordan Hare, and Auburn gives Georgia all they can handle, but Ole Miss still controls its own destiny and doesn't want to take an SEC West loss. What do you think Ole Miss's chances are to really handle the Auburn Tigers, because Auburn they can they can kind of punch with you for a quarter or two defensively. You mentioned Peyton Thorn struggles, but Lane Kiffin definitely has Ole Miss since that LSU game on track offensively.
5: Yeah, Ole Miss is humming. They got their ground game back going. Uh, Quinchon Judkins is, is is running the ball much better here since he's gotten healthy, and um, you know Jackson Dart's is doing a great job getting the ball into his playmakers' hands. It, it sounds like Jordan Watkins is going to be back in this one, and. They just got weapons all over, and so yeah, I do think the the crowd of Jordan hare is going to be loud and rocking, and you know can can provide that that you know great atmosphere. But what happens if all this goes down scores early, and you know suddenly you're down fourteen nothing, and Peyton Thorne is uh, you know not moving the ball, and they're punting the ball and or, or turning it over? I think that'll take the the crowd out of it. So yeah, the, the more and more I start to look at this one earlier in the week, I thought okay, maybe you know the crowd can keep them in it. Auburn can keep this one close, maybe. uh you know, the ground game gets going with JarQuest Hunter because Ole Miss said that's the greatest defense. But I, Ole Miss's offense just still scares me. And if, you know, they jump out to a big lead, let's say it's 28, you know, 10 at half or something like that, uh, I think they're not going to look back and they're going to win easily. So that's where I am right now. But we'll see. Again, if that place is rocking and loud, maybe they can keep them in it for a while.
1: Brady Cook. Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri Tigers, I, I just didn't think if you had me to look at things, the Missouri Tigers last week absolutely kick Kentucky and have an opportunity to, to make some noise and are still controlling their own destiny. You become bowl eligible, if nothing else. I know a lot of people here in Mobile love to watch the Missouri Tigers for the one and only reason of Chris Abrams' train, who Attended SEC Media Days and return specialist and defensive back for Missouri. But man, what a great job Missouri has done thus far this season.
5: Yeah, Abram Strain's been great and credit that defense, man. I mean, they got after it. They made Devin Leary look awful. I thought that was, you know, Devin Leary's worst game since he's been in a in a Kentucky uniform there. And um just a really, really ugly uh game for for kentucky overall but huge feather in the cap for mizzou you know to fall down 14 nothing and then uh rally like they didn't really run away with that game it was a huge win for mizzou and i think they're really good man i mean they still got to play you know some some good teams in the sec east and a lot still to be determined but yeah that was a monster win for mizzou and and a a big loss for kentucky i mean they go in two weeks from five and oh to five and two They still have to play Alabama. I mean, they got some big games still left on their schedule. So this thing could spiral for Mark Stoops and company, but Mizzou still everything to play for in front of them. We'll see.
1: Now you have the two strugglers, Mississippi State and Arkansas, playing one another. Sam Pittman has really, really been close in a lot of games, just not able to get over that hump. And I think that this may be the week that finally Arkansas is able to get it done.
5: Yeah, I mean they they've been knocking on the door, man, and you you credit Sam Pittman for, you know, his team not quitting. They they've been um, you know, at least putting up a fight and, and playing tough. But at a certain point when the losses keep piling on top of each other, you start to wonder, you know, can uh um you know, can can they keep Sam Pittman around? I know they gave him a contract extension a year ago, but um you know, it's the SEC. It's big boy football. It's about to get a lot tougher with Texas and Oklahoma coming in next year and you know, if he keeps losing some of these close fifty fifty type games, um yeah you know, I, I just don't know how he's gonna survive it, and uh, you know I don't know who the answer is, you know, so whatever I say that people go, well who who are they going to hire? I don't know, I mean, you're gonna have to go look out there and see who's available and who you can afford but um i, I don't know, man, it just seems like you're you're a hamster spinning your wheels with Sam Pittman, great person, but a uh, good football coach, but Some guys, the SEC just eats alive, and it looks like that's what's happening at at Arkansas. Because think of this, guys. I mean, you know, this is your best chance with KJ Jefferson and Rocket Sanders. You're going to lose both of them after this year. You're hitting the reset button at all the important positions. I don't see how Arkansas gets better next year by doing that.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. And, Chris, I know that right now it's not looking good for your Astros. Down two games (laughs) to none. The Rangers handling their business. But, look, I know that if anybody can buck the trend, it, it's your defending world champion, Houston Astros. Do you give them a chance and give them life to make history?
5: Yeah, they got a chance. I mean, we're, we're a global life field and watching them work out. And, I mean, the, the big thing is no, there's no panic um, with the team. I mean, they're, they're coming here poised. And, you know, it's the old cliche of one game at a time. Uh, I can remember 2019 going out to uh, D.C., Uh, Where, you know, they had lost the first two at home in the World Series against the Nationals. And we all kind of wrote them off and said, ah, they got no chance. And they go out to D.C. and and win all three games in D.C. and bring it back to Houston 3-2. So, you know, they they got a chance. I mean, if anybody could do it, it could be this team. So, again, it's a one-game at a time mentality. We'll see if they can go out there and get a win tomorrow.
1: How can people follow all of your great SEC coverage? Because it is, again, wall-to-wall this time of year. You have some great matchups here within the next couple of weeks. And I know third Saturday in October here in the state of Alabama means so much. And, again, that big-time Ole Miss-Auburn game at Jordan-Hare Stadium. But people want to catch up with you and get the whereabouts of what's going on in the SEC on a weekly basis. How can they do so, Chris?
5: Yeah, just search Locked on SEC wherever you get your podcast. Of course, we've got the YouTube version up there. And, uh, yeah, breaking it all down. Uh, today's episode up there talking about Brock Bowers, what that means for Georgia, losing him for, for uh, several weeks. And uh, tomorrow we'll be doing getting to our full preview of Alabama versus Tennessee, the the SEC game of the week. So, yeah, Locked on SEC wherever you get
1: your podcast. Appreciate you, my brother. We look forward to talking to you again next week. All right. Thanks, man. And uh, go Jags, all right? You got it, Jays up. Chris Cordy locked on SEC joining us, and again he mentions Tracy Turner in the building with his Jays up. I want to welcome Tracy to the final drive. We'll get a little early start on talking football with Tracy as we have so much to cover. Whether it's Julio Jones back in the NFL with the Philadelphia Eagles. And maybe
7: baseball. free both wild cards looks like will be in the World Series because there's only wild cards in the NL and even though the Strohs won the West and the AL looks like the Rangers that'll be in it that'll be World Series history
1: looking forward to that as well as Major League Baseball will try to find someone to participate in the World Series you're listening to the final drive on WNSP 105.5 we'll be right back
0: Hey, this is Showtime Boxing Analyst, Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio
1: 105.5 WNSP. Back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5, Corey Bounty, along with Tracy Turner, joining me here at Hancock-Whitney Stadium to watch South Alabama take on Southern Miss at 6.30 on ESPN2 tonight. Could
7: it be any better football weather?
1: Absolutely. It's
7: already in the 60s. Light breeze, crowds starting to come into the game. It should be a wonderful night here at Hancock-Whitney Stadium.
1: The football gods are definitely shining on this game tonight. And I know we were talking about South Alabama being consistent and what it's going to take to get them to the next level. And Doug Kunkel from Jag Jungle will join us next on the final drive to talk more about what South Alabama has not only tonight but in the recruiting game and I know you and I both were watching high school football out in Sims and a South Alabama verbal commit Jared Hollins. He, it's your first time seeing them live and South Alabama has won well of a quarterback if he holds on to that verbal commitment.
7: Well and you know I sort of have a inside interest why I want South to do well. I was out there actually watching the burner from Baker. Yeah. You like that, the burner it, from Baker? It, it's sugar game. And, uh, and uh, but the, that, that number seven from MGM, uh, he was the best football player on the field. And he didn't get rattled. Two of his big plays were fourth down plays when the primary play was not there. And then he made something. Uh, one, a fourth down throw in end zone in a tight, tight window. Uh, rolling to his left, throwing across <laughs> his body as a right-handed passer. The next one, getting hit on a blitz, should have been sacked, spin out, notice that they're in man. Everybody's back to him, runs it in from 18, 20 yards out. So, uh, And he's got a lot of growing to do. He's about six four, but he's going to put on 15 or 20 pounds easy. I think they got him listed at 190 they or so. Have he he, he will play at 215. Uh, got a great arm, uh, got an arm, can throw on the move. Uh, one, another time avoiding the risk and throwing a touchdown pass <laughs> on a line from 50 yards away. He's just very
1: impressive. It, it really was fun to watch and fun to call this game. I didn't have enough superlatives to, to give it up because once again, Tracy, with the ability to take the pressure that he was being applied to and keep his head up and never look down, and always have his eyes up, even though the pressure is high and low on him. That, to me, and and not really get rattled either. That's no, why. It was no, he impressive. was very
7: impressive, and it was also impressive to see an absolute full house, yeah. standing room only at MGM, Sims, Alabama, history being made. Uh, The first time they're 80-0 since 1965. Yes. Uh, And they believe the first time ever to host a playoff game. So they're already – so it was just – you know, it was what high school football was all about. I actually parked way away where I could get out, so I walked through the whole campus before the game, got there early to watch warm-ups after the game, uh, a great atmosphere. I didn't see any, you know, problems, everybody, rivalry, both Westmobile teams, so it was a great night, and uh, enjoyed seeing a lot of good football, and there's no question that, that as you said, sugarcane can run. He can but but he, he's got to learn to catch a little better, and then he needs to work on his routes. So he has elite speed. Yep. The, there was nobody. Every time he ran, you know, what you would call the fly or, or the post, he was open. Yeah. But I would have liked to have seen uh, one of those fly routes. He was open. The ball was just a little long. Show me you're willing to lay out for it.
1: And that situation there, I think that's where he'll continue to grow at Auburn, and that is only his second year of football to where he'll continue to learn how to become uh, an elite football-wise He's
7: coachable, too.
1: Absolutely, Tracy, and that's what's huge. He's open-minded and willing to learn how to become better and to maximize the speed that he has. And coming up next, Doug Conkle. All right. Jag Jungle will be joining us to talk about south alabama not only recruiting here locally but statewide a couple of weeks ago running
7: back from Ariana here's a great running back
1: love bothwell from Ariana. played against viger in the championship a couple of years ago as a sophomore and that's really what brought my attention to him as i called that state championship game very versatile athlete kane womack has gotten to verbally commit to south alabama we'll talk to doug Conco from jag jungle coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is David Morris of QB Country. When I'm in my car, always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. It is and we'll get that. I have Tracy Turner here with me and we have Jag Jungles, Doug Conkle on with us this afternoon. And the reason that I wanted to have Doug on was, of course, to highlight and talk about the reason I'm on the campus of South Alabama at Hancock Whitney Stadium. It's the 630 kickoff between the Golden Eagles of Southern Miss, who were kind of struggling and the jaguars who want to put two conference wins together back to back doug welcome to the final drive hello fellas how are you doing today absolutely too blessed to be stressed can't thank you enough for taking time to join us big time sunbelt conference matchup here in mobile tonight beautiful Fall weather in the air in South Alabama having an opportunity to put back to back wins together in the Sunbelt Conference.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a big one just because it is a conference game. The Jags already have that one loss game to Madison, who who might be one of the sneaky best teams in the country, guys. So that uh that loss to them may not look so bad at the end of the season, but this is a big one because the Jags can still win the West. They got to win out more than likely in order to do that. Southern Mississippi while having a terrible year by their standards, standards historically and even in the last couple of years, that's still a dangerous team. And there's no doubt they will give their best effort because they are 0-3 against this South Alabama program. They probably call them the upstart South Alabama program. And, uh, and that, just, that grinds their gears over there. They're going to come in shooting everything they got to try to get a win in this, uh, this game and in the series.
1: Well, not only in tonight's game, you do look at. We were just mentioning before we went to the break about the great recruiting that Kane Womack has done, not only here locally and in this I 10 corridor. We were talking about Jared Hollins. I called his football game against Baker on the MCPSS television network, in which he converted a couple of fourth and goals and was able to throw touchdown strikes and was able to run another one in on a fourth down play. But. Fluff Bothwell from Adiana, hey, To me, he's one of those versatile backs, one of the most versatile in the entire state of Alabama, and that's a great <laughs> sign by Kane Womit getting it done.
3: Yeah, you know what? As, as I was getting ready to hear from you guys, I thought, well, if they talk recruiting, I have no doubt in my mind it'll be Fluff Bothwell, they <laughs> want to talk about. Um, although I'm glad you brought up Hollins, because I'm excited about him and his future in college football. I think he can be a really huge addition to the program. But, yeah, Fluff Boppel, that's a guy they wanted from the summertime on. They they had him on campus multiple times. Uh, they really loved him. They saw his talent last year when he was – I think he was the leading rusher in the entire state of Alabama. Um, he's just a guy, I think, that college programs couldn't decide what side of the ball they want him on. because He's also a great linebacker. And I think South really went all in on telling him he could be a running back and showed they want him. And they've got his commitment at the moment. But, you know, guys, It's recruiting, and getting them to say yes is one thing, getting them to sign is say another. So you got to take it all the way to the finish line, although I think Kane Womack and his staff have done a tremendous job establishing relationships, and I think they'll get most of these guys to the finish line.
1: Well, Doug, it's not just (laughs) – the ability to recruit people like Fluff Bothwell. It's when you do see them dip into the quarterback pool in North Alabama and bring in Gio Lopez. Gio having an opportunity to see some action versus Louisiana Monroe. And, you know, competition breeds greatness in one another. It brings out the best in you. And if Jared decides to hold to that verbal commitment, along with the battle that he'll have with Gio Lopez, it. Gio's one of those guys a year ago that comes from North Alabama, and James Clements, that a lot of people down here had not heard about because they didn't make a great playoff push. But Geo's a tremendous-looking quarterback.
3: Yeah, he had a great junior year. His senior year, he was banged up. And the whole team, you know, had a, had a tough season last year. So he didn't shine maybe like he probably could have. But they last year, I will tell you, they told me right off the bat, We're trying to build a recruiting class around the quarterback, and Gio Lopez is our number one guy. And they went and got him. And thankfully he is getting some game action right now too because, as you guys know, Carter Bradley is going to be out of eligibility at the end of this year. And it's probably going to be a Gio Lopez. um, I I hope he forgives me. I can't remember the name of the young man who uh, transferred in from Utah State who played there as a true freshman. And Hollins is going to graduate early and go through spring. Uh, Those three, press I wouldn't be surprised if they got somebody out of the portal as well there's going to be a wide-open competition for that starting quarterback spot next year. So those guys all have a shot at coming in and, and, and taking that job and being the starter here next year.
1: Doug, let's talk about the wide receiver play in Colin Lacey. I mean, just a tremendous looking wide receiver from, again, right here in Mobile, Alabama, and Faith Academy, and that's one of those recruits that Kane Womack said, look, I want to <laughs> get local guys not only to recruit them, I want them to be tremendous factors, and he learned from Jalen Wayne, Jalen Tolbert, so he's been in the program to where South Alabama has continued to produce great wide receivers, and you look at Colin leading, the Sunbelt Conference in receiving and being one of the most explosive yards-per-catch receivers in the country, that's that's exactly what you ask for if you're Major Applewhite and especially the quarterback Bradley loving to find Lacey through double teams and all. Yeah, you know what's
3: amazing about Lacey is we're used to seeing guys get to college and improve from one year to the next. But a guy who improves three years in a row, you're like, where is the ceiling? because he just keeps getting better and better. Steve Campbell brought him in as a freshman during his time at South Alabama. He played him right away, and he was a good freshman, very productive. And then uh, Applewhite and Wilmick and those guys came in, and he kept stepping up his game. This year, with, with his running mate, Devin Boyson being on the other side, he is the absolute focus of opposing defenses, and he is still putting up pinball numbers right now. It is amazing to me that what he's able to do with, with less attention – being paid to the other wide receivers than you would have expected going into the season even. So, I mean, I'm just in awe of Colin Lacey, and, and I wonder just how how high it can go, his productivity.
1: Well, the productivity there, when he does demand those double teams from you, it actually helps LaDamian Webb. And we've seen Webb be around football forever, and if he is able To be well rested within this 10-day period since the last time South Alabama took the field on the 7th of October. A healthy LaDamian Webb spells trouble for the Golden Eagles. I know they have a great running back in of themselves and Frank Gore Jr. And the numbers aren't where they want to be. But LaDamian Webb can be that dude in a preseason Sunbelt Conference. First team, all-conference type player can continue to up his numbers tonight.
3: Yeah, you know, Lavinium Webb is a guy who, from sheer running talent, I don't know if he isn't better than Frank Gore Jr., and I absolutely know what I'm saying when I say that and how big a praise that is. He's that kind of a natural runner and and that much of a gifted player. You're right, if he's 100% healthy, it's going to spell maybe some trouble for Southern Miss. And this Southern Miss team, guys, this defense is just not what you historically expect from that program with the great things they've done over the years. Uh, Their coordinator left, he's now coordinating the defense of Florida, and they're just not getting the same results. The Natives are restless over there, and the productivity on defense has not been there, although I will say their last game against Old Dominion, it stepped up and was a better-looking unit for that game. So I hope actually that warns South Alabama. They have to be ready, and Ladanium Webb and Colin Lacey and everybody else on that side of the ball. They have to come out with another one of those Louisiana-Monroe kind of efforts to put points up.
1: And Doug, I will say this, switching gears, staying here on South Alabama's campus, when you when you do look at what you have is you're in a situation for basketball to be beginning and basketball has started here on the campus with practice. And you look at who South Alabama will have non conference trips to Alabama, Maryland and Will play host to Denver and Nichols, and you do have that Max Sunbelt Conference Challenge. It's going to be a lot of, of fun for what's looking here for Richie Riley and this Jaguar team. Not a big team size-wise, but have a lot of athletic shooters and getting after it non-conference will prepare them for conference play.
3: Yeah, it's uh, you know it's a totally different team, like you said, Corey, because uh, last year they had Samuel, and he probably he was only there for one year. But that one year when he was probably the best big man this program's ever had, uh, and I realize what I'm saying when I say that, too, um, but he just was. I mean, a seven-footer dominating inside presence that he was, rebounding and shot-blocking. Like, you know, I know Kelvin Cato played for a year at South, and, you know, there's been a lot of other great players, but I think he was a dominant force. And now it's a different team, but, gosh, I'm really encouraged by what I'm hearing from, from the preseason practices and what they saw in the offseason. They brought in a, a couple of more guys out of the portal, a couple of more Division II stars, um, a good player uh, from up in the Northeast as well, a Division One guy, Matt, Maxwell Land, Uh and some freshmen who I think they, they're really excited by the freshmen too. And there's a few core guys around like Turbo Jones uh, as well. So and Judah Brown, I don't want to leave him out. So I, I think this team is going to be something much different than last year and that it was really focused on, on just a couple of guys getting the ball and dominating the ball and what they did. To a really well-rounded five guys on the court, probably every position is going to have a shooter. So you're going to have a, a, an ability to spread the floor. They're going to run a lot. It's uh, it, you know it's going to be an exciting brand of basketball. I'm really really excited about what's going to happen this season.
1: Well, it's not only that time of the year for football season in the second half of the season to to unwrap itself for us. We're here on the campus of Hancock-Whitney Stadium of the South Alabama Jaguars rather at Hancock-Whitney Stadium in South Alabama with all their goals still intact as far as becoming the first ever Sunbelt Conference championship team in university's history. But it all starts tonight, Doug, in a big matchup with the 1-5 Golden Eagles.
3: It certainly does. I think as much as I've talked about the offense and what they have to do tonight, it's deep. the defense of this team still has all its major pieces in place. They've, they've put out a good effort this year, and frankly this is a Southern Miss offense that is struggling really badly. The quarterback play has been frankly substandard. That's my biggest amazement with Will Hall over there at Southern Miss, is that in three years he still hasn't managed to get himself a quarterback who can just give him solid play. Um, they got Frank Gore Jr. and not a lot else on that side of the ball, so the defense has a chance to get out there and, and really put up a, a dominating performance. And if they can, I think South can win this game maybe pretty easily, maybe even live up to the spread.
1: Hey, that would be nice, especially for all these South Alabama Jaguar fans that want to make that 90-minute ride back to Hattiesburg long for the Golden Eagle fans. And, Doug, you do a tremendous job of covering all of Jaguar athletics. How can people follow you and get a better sense of what's going on with the South Alabama athletic program?
3: Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you can't be at the game tonight, the funnest thing to do is to be on our message board at JagsJungle.com. we got the game thread up and running, so you can get on there and have people bemoan every bad thing that happens to the program is falling apart. Two good things that happen, mean we're national champions. Um, it's, it's a moment-by-moment moment basis of a, the exciting roller coaster of emotion of college football. That's always a lot of fun. We try to get our news out there. Uh, and you can catch me on Twitter some, too, when I get a chance to get over there. And that's, uh, I guess I've got to call it X now. I don't know. We'll call it Twix is what I'm going to go with. Um, you can catch me over there at Doug Conkle as well.
1: Appreciate your time, Doug, as always. Jays up, and look forward to talking to you again very soon. All
3: right, Jay's up. Thanks, guys.
1: Doug Conco joining us this afternoon on the final drive and does a tremendous job. Publisher of the Jaguars site on 247sports.com. You mentioned it, Tracy.
7: Basketball season tickets, basketball single-game tickets left for South. Fans haven't been to a game at the Mitchell Center. It is a great environment and arena for a basketball game. Been out there to – a, a, a number of games, some when orange and blue were in town and some <laughs> when they weren't. You know, we saw a great game out there back uh, about four years ago when Auburn's first-round pick played one year, put back in with two seconds to go or one second on the clock. So uh, if anybody wants to see really good college basketball, they, they should come pick a game at the Mitchell Center. It's a great environment.
1: We'll be right back to finish up our number two of the final drive, and then we'll start Hour number three which consists of the chavis furniture talking football with scott hunter and tracy turner who is with me here at hancock whitney stadium listening
6: to wnsp
0: sports radio
1: welcome back to the final drive on wnsp 105.5 wrapping up our number two of the final drive and Nick Wiggins, man, in hour number one, and hour number two, we had an opportunity to talk to Aaron Freeman, locked on Falcons. Talking about your Atlanta Falcons, we talked to Chris Gordy, locked on SEC, and just got off of the line with Doug Conkle with Jag Jungle. But one of the interesting topics is Julio Jones returning to the NFL, signing that one-year deal with the Philadelphia Eagles, the seven-time 34-year-old Pro Bowler going to bring some leadership to that Philadelphia Eagles locker room that it may not have had or just add to another target for Jalen Hurts. And, again, not relying on Julio, just being able to get maybe one target or one catch a game, I think is what you're going to get out of Julio, Nick.
2: Yeah, I I, I think it's going to uh, definitely not be – I mean, you're not getting Atlanta Falcons Julio here, right? Right. You're getting, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers version of Julio. I think this is more of a locker room move. I'm curious, have they announced what number jersey he's going to wear yet?
1: No, that that's a great point. I, I I don't I don't know who that would be. And you know, would you like to see him go back to his original one? I don't I don't know what number Julio will wear.
2: Yeah, I'm just curious cuz you know, even if Julio doesn't play that much, I feel like that's still going to be a nice jersey. That people are going to want to buy for sure because you know julio jones he's got to be the best wide receiver in the past
1: 15 years yes yeah, that's a, that's a great since he's come into the league has been been that dude and you know he's been that dude since he was uh, uh like a, a track and field stud winning the Challenge of Champions in high school when he was a basketball player, football player. Julio was that freak out of Foley, and you can't really duplicate that as far as what he's been able to accomplish in as many years as he's been able to accomplish. Also, becoming a successful businessman, preparing himself for life after football, owning the Kia dealerships there in Tuscaloosa. But excited to see him continuing to play, and I, I know that also... Nick, Deion Sanders has authored his second book that's going to come out next year called Elevate and Dominate, 21 Ways to Win on and off the field. Are you buying or are you selling Deion Sanders' book? Oh, come on, man. You
2: know I got to buy that book. I got to find out all the secrets to living life like prime time. I just wish the book was coming out this week so I'd have something to uh, read, you know, while I'm sitting there in the baby room.
1: Now we'll definitely talk more about Nick and his baby room coming up here, folks, as my buddy Nick Wiggins is getting ready to become a first time father. And tomorrow we'll go ahead and, and celebrate his last day for a couple of weeks while he enjoys fatherhood, parenting one on one. We'll we'll make that the topic of discussion tomorrow. Sure, is our poll question trying to figure out the parenting advice. For Nick, so far, what you, what is the best parenting advice, Nick, you've received from anyone so far?
2: Oh, man. Um, the best parenting advice I've received up to this point is maybe to take everyone's parenting advice with a grain of salt because – all babies are different, you know? So, you know, you take the playbook, you run the scrimmage, you, you (laughs) you run the practices, but once the game kicks off and you really see what you're working with, you gotta make adjustments on the fly.
1: Absolutely. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in to our first two hours of the final drive today. We want to thank Aaron Freeman, Chris Gordy, and Doug Conkle for joining us here on the final drive. Hour number three, Chavis Furniture Talking Football. Tracy Turner here with me on the campus of the University of South Alabama and Hancock-Whitney Stadium getting ready for a 6.30 kickoff. And Scott Hunter will join us as well. You want to make sure you stick around here on WNSP 105.5.
0: Huddle up. It's time for Chavez Furniture's Talking Football. Stay with us as Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner discuss Alabama, Auburn, South Alabama, the SEC and college football around the country brought to you by Bayou Fasteners and Clutch and Powertrain. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the Sound of
1: Mobile app. Welcome to Travis Parker, talking football. Corey Bounty. on location here. At Hancock Whitney Stadium on the beautiful campus of the University of South Alabama along with Tracy Turner and again Scott Hunter. He's not able to join us at this moment, so I'll enjoy the company that Tracy and I and the beautiful view that we're having here in preparation for this 630 kickoff here on the campus of the South Alabama Jaguars. If you have not done so, come on out here. Don't just watch it on ESPN, too. Come on out here and and get a chance to experience great football weather, an opportunity to see there's not a bad seat in the house here at Hancock-Whitney Stadium. And call us
7: on your way while you're driving out and Uh, uh, ask us a question.
1: Absolutely. 251-694-1055. That's 251-694-1055 is how you can join us here on the Chavez Furniture Talking Football edition on this Tuesday and we'll, we'll go and stay here on the campus of South Alabama a big-time Sunbelt Conference matchup you have the Golden Eagles 90 minutes away over there in Hattiesburg 70 miles a, a quick trip for those Eagle fans we saw
7: their bus to... come in a while ago while I was getting into yeah. the to this beautiful building here at Hancock Whitney Stadium for us to do our show in the coaches administrative offices man that's nice of them to let us do this <laughs> yes. looking out over the, the parking lot and all the people coming in so thanks to South and You know, they even let me here with my stripe out for the Ole Miss game on Saturday. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Of course, I'm dressed in my red and blue, too. That's right.
1: And and you have a a vented interest here with the South Alabama Jaguars program, and and you are sporting the right colors tonight for the South Alabama Jaguars as they are taking on a Southern Miss team that has come through a little bit of struggles. One year ago, you're looking at them being a bowl-eligible team and having – Frank Gore Jr., who was Frank Gore, the the Hall of Fame future running back for the 49ers' son, right here at Hancock-Whitney Stadium, set a bowl record with over 320 yards rushing right here on this field. We hope he doesn't duplicate that performance against the Jaguars tonight. Oh, my. (laughs) That's
7: a career for some people.
1: And look, he's only rushed for 397 this season, so it is a big-time Yeah, but the, the scary thing,
7: football. that means he's capable.
1: Yeah, he, he is very capable. He has all of his father's genes in him in regards to being able to run the football and be successful. And I know we do have Scott Hunter joining us here on the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Scott? Corey, I got two questions. Go ahead. So we can get Scott.
7: Yeah. One, Scott, what happened in the fourth quarter? Yep. And two, any callers – Call in and tell me if anybody really thought that Auburn's defense, which had been, you know, carried them through, was going to stay in Auburn while the game was played in Baton Rouge. So, Scott, what happened? (laughs) Well,
4: Tracy, it's actually what happened in the third quarter. Alabama with a 24 to what, six or 24 to three lead at halftime. comes out in the third quarter and goes three and out, three and out, three and out. Three straight times, three and out. Uh, somebody asked me what Coach Bryant would have said to me after three straight three and outs and I had a, you know, a three touchdown lead. And I said, what would he have said to you? I said, I don't know. Because after three straight three and outs, I'd have just run off on the other side with the other team and sit up there with them.
7: Well, that lets... That lets somebody get back in the game because they're exactly. out there. That's where it really yeah.
4: happened. You, know, you go out, as you know, in a game like that, uh, first five minutes of the third quarter, uh, Alabama got the ball because since they had deferred uh, after winning the toss, they got the ball. And those kind of games, you go down the field, you score, you put thirty-one up on the board, and the other team's looking up there, going, "Man, yeah, thirty something. Yeah, this, we might want to get back to Fayetteville." Uh, but anyway, when they go out and go three and out, three and out, three and out, <laughs> and Arkansas starts doing something with it, they got they got some fresh oxygen.
7: Well, Scott, as you know and I know, haven't played, and you know I've talked on this show a lot about the fact that my coach at Auburn learned. Uh, Coach Bryant hired him in 1965 and he stayed there and coached into 72 and actually was the defensive uh, I think coordinator maybe his last year over there if I remember, but regardless the first five the, la- the, the first five minutes of the game and the first five minutes of the second half are critical and you come out and you you know you got Arkansas on the ropes and you and you let them off the ropes. And that's just in football people like oh it's the same thing it's not the same thing you it's a mentality it's a it's the whole thing about a, how come a, a team is getting beat and a turnover happens and all of a sudden now the other teams like where did they come from they've been getting dominated in one turnover um I was shocked i had i saw the score and i thought alabama was going to put the game away and the next thing I knew it was a one possession game yeah
4: and it got down to uh, Kevin Steele's defense had to make a stop on Arkansas. I think it was nine or so minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Uh, Kevin Steele's defense came up with a, as they, they say on TV all the time, huge stop. Alabama got the ball back, and to offense's credit, they ran the ball north and south and ran the clock out over the last five to something minutes uh, of the game. So there, there was uh, Alabama. The last nine minutes of the game, they owned it, but they had to because uh, in the second half, they hadn't owned anything.
7: Well, Scott, uh, I I would rather talk about this game because, one, the third Saturday in October has always been, you know, huge. Going back, I don't know, I'm not going to say my age, but at least 50 years, (laughs) and uh, that's where we are, and you've got – you know, two teams that are still fighting for the SEC championship game. Um, just just a huge game. So let's talk about that instead of what happened last week because I don't even want to talk about any of that. Mm-hmm. What, what, how do you see things going this week? What does Alabama got to do?
4: Well, uh, two things here, uh, Tracy, Corey, and listeners, two things. Uh, Tennessee doesn't have uh, the Herndon hooker they had last year. He threw for almost, I think, almost 400 yards, 380 or 90 yards against us and uh, more touchdowns than I can count on two hands, it seems like. And they don't have him back this year. And Alabama doesn't have the same defensive coordinator they had last year back. So those two things are in Alabama's favor. Uh, I think you'll see a much better defensive effort on the part of Alabama this year Uh, against Tennessee, and I don't think the Tennessee quarterback that they're playing this year is is near, from what I saw some of last week, uh, is near up to the ability and and the danger that Herndon, I think his name was Herndon, Herndon Hooker was last year.
1: Yeah, Hendon Hooker had 385 yards, five touchdowns, and one interception a year ago against the Crimson Tide, and it wasn't a pretty first quarter in knoxville scott as alabama goes down 21 to 7 at the end of the first quarter was able to outscore tennessee 13 to 7 in the second quarter and came out in the third quarter outscored them 15 to 6 and there in the fourth quarter just could not find a way to stop this great wide receiving core of the volunteers and Jalen wright continued to to come out of the backfield and Jalen Hyatt had the game of his life, six receptions for 207 yards and all five Uh touchdowns.
4: Well, I was sitting here watching the game in our condo here with Deborah Hunter and our friend Bernice English who came over. And at halftime, I said to them, Bernice got all excited. What are we going to do in the same half? I said, oh, well, the defensive coordinator – They'll go into the in, in the locker room and they'll put their heads together and they'll make some changes and they'll shut down Hooker in the second half with a better pass rush because he didn't throw well in the first half. There are three or so times Alabama got some pressure on him and they'll stop that receiver at the line of scrimmage, you know, not letting him get off and challenge downfield fast and so forth. Well, <laughs> come out in the second half, Alabama defensive coordinator, they didn't do anything. They didn't change a thing. Tennessee just kept on. Uh, making a crack meeting, and and Bernice and Deb looked at me like I'd never even played football before. I felt like a fool.
1: Well, Scott, I I tell you, you know, when Talking Football comes on, we always have Jerry that loves to talk to you guys on a week-to-week basis. And, Jerry, welcome to the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Shoot away.
8: Okay, thanks. Uh, I noticed in that game. Uh, I know you don't want to talk about the game past, but it seems like um, Arkansas was putting a lot of pressure on from their defensive ends, and I think that um, I think the offensive line has still got a little problem with the uh, with the outside rushers and with the defensive end pressure. It kind of contains Melrose uh, prevents him from making that uh, wide sweeping end run that he'll he'll use if he's. Uh, can't find a receiver.
4: Uh, Jerry, that's a good observation. You know, they had to take the freshman out, Caden Proctor, the left tackle. They had to take him out and put in uh, Pritchett. They just had to. He he just couldn't handle that defensive end that was rushing off the corner over there on him and got Pritchett in there, and and protection improved a little bit with Pritchett, Uh, but it, it wasn't very good with Proctor. So, you know, Alabama's number... I don't know, 130 out of 133 in the whole NCAA football statistics in sacks. I mean, not getting sacks, but being sacked. I think Alabama has like 41 sacks. So, I mean, that's terrible, terrible. And it's a combination that you observe: offensive line uh, having some breakdowns, and Jalen Milroe holding on to the ball too long, and. and Go back to Deborah Hunter, the only piece of advice she ever gave me after all the years of football, college and pro that we were around <laughs> each other, And when I was with the Falcons one day after one of the games, I got back to, to our place up there where we were living in Georgia. She said, Scott, you've got to get rid of the ball faster. No, <laughs> <laughs> Roller's got to okay. same advice. He's got to get back. He, as I've been harping on this to sound like a broken record, I've been harping on this. He's got to get back. He's got to make his reads, and he's got to get rid of the ball in three seconds or so. No offensive line can hold a quality defensive line out any longer uh, more than
8: that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, too, what do you think about uh, his uh, developing with regard to his mid-range passing game? It would seem to me that would be uh, – a double-edged sword, it, it kind of minimizes the chance of a safety blitz, and you uh, you you have uh, you get the ball away quicker.
4: Well, you, you hit it on the head, Jerry. That's where you really make your money as a quarterback. I mean, I know he's hit some big bombs, as he did in the Arkansas game of the day, but hitting those... Five to fifteen yard intermediate, uh, short to intermediate range passes, getting that ball out of your hand into a spot where the receiver comes into the spot off the break. Uh, And there are a lot of when the receivers were coming off the break, I was watching it. I mean, Arkansas's secondary couldn't cover your your kitchen floor. Uh, (laughs) The receivers were open; he just didn't have the ball there, and he's got to he's got to start doing that. as you just observed in that short and intermediate five to fifteen to twenty yard range, you've got to get the ball there and have it there when the receiver gets there.
8: Yeah, I was going to ask you how those uh, the two long completions uh, how did they get so open? Uh, because you don't you can't see it on the TV
4: screen, but I think you just answered that they just plain beat them in a foot race. huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, Arkansas. I was watching the secondary. And uh, when our our receivers were coming off the break, they were two, three, and four yards open. I mean, as I said, Arkansas secondary couldn't cover your kitchen floor, and he he just didn't see it and couldn't get the ball there.
8: Yeah. So that's a pass your mama could complete, huh?
4: Well, uh, like I say, there's passes your mama can complete, and there's some that you got to get back there and. And you gotta read the coverage and get rid of the ball, uh, throw it into a spot, not to a man. And one little thing, that you see a, you see the receivers reaching back and over their head and having to slow down. That means uh, a quarterback, not Jalen in this case, but the quarterback is throwing to the receiver instead of leading them to a spot. And the the receivers you see in college and the NFL that are catching the ball in a spot on the run, that that quarterback, that Kua with the Dolphins or so, uh, Purdy with the 49ers, he's throwing to a spot to lead that receiver. And that's why they catch it on the run. And Jalen's just not doing that.
1: Yeah.
8: Okay, that, that's pretty much all I had. And uh, thanks again for the time. And uh look forward to talking to you next week.
1: Always right, appreciate Jerry. Thank you, Jerry, Thank you for calling in to the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday here on WNSP 105.5. And on the other side of this break, we'll catch up with Scott and Tracy about their games this week. A little bit of analysis there by Scott in regards to what Jalen Miro needs to do a little bit better job of moving forward in the third Saturday in October. We'll catch up with Tracy's thoughts about the third down efficiency rate that Auburn must improve against Ole Miss. Auburn is a – what you say? (laughs) What rate? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It it doesn't even scratch. It's going to have to scratch this coming Saturday, but the good thing is it's at Jordan-Hare Stadium. So we'll talk to Tracy about what that home field advantage may mean for the Auburn Tigers on the other side of this break here on the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday on WNSP 105.5.
6: This is
4: Will Herring, a member of the Auburn family. When I'm in Mobile, I listen to WNSP
0: 105.5. Welcome back to Chavez Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com, and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner
1: to the Chavis Furniture Talking Tuesday Football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner, Corey Lebounty, Nick Wiggins in the studio joining us and Tracy and I here on the campus of the University of South Alabama where the Jaguars taking on the Southern Miss Golden Eagles 630 kickoff. If you're able to come on down tickets still available for the South Alabama Southern Miss matchup tonight. And there's no bad view in the house. Beautiful football weather, just as there's going to be in the third Saturday in October, Scott. I know that very often, you know, here lately, (laughs) this third Saturday in October matchup doesn't happen on the third Saturday in October. But it's beautifully met to where October 21st is truly the third Saturday in October. Take me back to your Alabama playing days. I know I asked you about a couple of weeks ago what were your biggest homecoming memories but the third Saturday in October why does that robbery just mean more to Alabama fans even more so to some than the Auburn robbery and what is your biggest Tennessee memory in the third Saturday in October well
4: you know Alabama and Auburn didn't play from like I don't know, nineteen eight to 1948 so a lot of the older People who would go to the games that I was playing, and you know, Tennessee was the key rival year in and year out. And back in those years, uh, the 40s, 30s, 40s, and so forth. Uh, whoever generally won that game would generally win the SEC. But uh, you know, Alabama started playing Auburn, and Auburn has kind of progressed to then the top, I guess, uh, if you will, uh, rival. But however, Tennessee, especially when you get out of Mobile, but you get up into the Birmingham area and go north toward Huntsville, man, Tennessee is still a huge rival up there. Uh, but, yeah, on the, on the sad side, with the conference schedules changing next year, uh, this is probably the last time you'll see Alabama and Tennessee on the third Saturday in October because it looks like after this year a team is going to only have one common opponent, and, of course, Alabama and Auburn would be their, each their own common opponents in the Tennessee-Alabama game would go away on an every-year basis. And my, I guess, uh, you know, I'm always saying I don't remember the games we won big, but I remember the ones that we lost by a point or two. And my sophomore year, we played Tennessee up there, and it was back and forth. They had Rich and Flowers. They scored early. We started coming back. And then we went to length of the field in the fourth quarter uh, to score – I hit Donnie Sutton with a pass in the end zone. He made a great catch and I got hit pretty hard on in a private spot on that one and went out and uh Coach Bryant put the other quarterback in to go for two and he didn't have a good throw. And so we were down ten to nine. We onside kick got the ball back, went right back down to the seventeen yard line and uh, they had first, they had put the rule in that first year, they put the rule in when you get a first down, the clock stops. So we didn't have any timeouts. We were on their 16, 17-yard line. So I just tapped my center, Richard Grammer, on the tail. He knew what the deal was. Everybody else was set up for a pass play. I just hit him. He snapped the ball. And I jumped forward to make the first down. Referee stopped the clock. I went running off the field yelling, Fox stop, get the field goal team, get the field goal team. And Coach Bryant realized, man, he, what was going on. He got the field goal team out there. And unfortunately, we had a little bit of a high snap. Mike Dean uh, couldn't get the kickoff as well as he wanted. And Tim Priest, their corner got just a finger on it, and, and we lost 10 to 9. Man, I still go up to, when I go up to Knoxville. I can look at that place and say, man, what a, uh, still, that still eats me. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, I know how that feels. How about 17-15? <laughs> Not kicking a field goal from the one-yard line with about two minutes to go. So I feel for you, Scott. And, of course, you know we lost one of those at Rocky Top 14-10. Uh, to we fumbled at the one-yard line my freshman year. That's the famous Coach die speech in the locker room. There are going to be days when you lay your guts on the line and you don't have a thing to show for it. And how do you do? You lay them on the line again and again and again. And, you know, that's where he was teaching us some things about football. But it ain't just football. It's about life. You know, you get up and you go to work and you come home and you're worried about your kids and you're worried about mama and, you know, old cars barely running and you have to fix the water pump and you don't seem to have a (laughs) thing to show for it. But what do you do? You get up the next morning and you go back to work. He's heard that story too.
1: (laughs) Scott when you do you just mentioned your moments then your memories from the third Saturday in October and you know divisionless football coming to play in the SEC next year. I know that Alabama you, you look at their performance versus Arkansas and you quickly you enjoy that for 24 hours And then you do prepare for the Tennessee volunteers when a team beats you the way Tennessee beat Alabama last year whether it was on a, a missed field goal opportunities or whether it was on the same pass play not once not twice not three not four but five times what do you think Alabama's mindset Is going to be because coach Saban said in his press conference yesterday. Hey, this robbery means a lot to a lot of different people and you mentioned earlier why it means so much. But what is the players mentality? Do you think they're thinking about last year's final score and what occurred on the field and the storming of the field at Neyland Stadium the the tearing down of the goalpost and just what is at stake for Alabama going into its bye week?
4: Well, uh, you got a good point there, Corey. You, you, you think about those things maybe during the week, you know, back to what happened last year and so forth. You think about those a little bit. But by and large, you know, you're getting ready to play the game. You're getting ready to do what you've got to do, to execute the strategy and so forth. So you kind of begin Thursday, Friday, forgetting about all that stuff that happened last year. And you start thinking that, okay, Saturday afternoon, in this situation, what am I going to do? What's the play call? What's the defensive call? You you start getting your head into playing the game, and uh, then you forget about all that other stuff.
1: Scott, we'll take a quick break right here, and we'll jump in on the other side of this break on the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday And talk about what Auburn has to do. Coming off of their bye week, they didn't perform the way a lot of people expected them to perform down in Death Valley. We'll get Tracy's comments about, do you go with two quarterbacks on the remainder of the year? And what's the game plan against the Ole Miss Rebels coming to Jordan-Hare Stadium? We'll be right back here on a Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSB
0: 105.5. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome
1: back to the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday, Corey Bounty along with tracy turner here on the campus of the university of south alabama home of the jaguars in which they'll be facing the southern miss golden eagles tonight it's 6 30 kickoff plenty of tickets still available for you to come out and support the south alabama jaguars to help them continue to get on that winning streak and to hopefully put a win together tonight to put themselves in position to continue to be in the drivers.
7: Everything's still open to yes. win the West. Yes. To get to a bowl. Yes. You know, uh, be conference paint. champions. All of that stuff that's still on their board. But they have to start playing consistent. The the defense that played at Oklahoma State yep. has to show up for both halves. So we, you know, we come down here, you mentioned off the air, Central Michigan. Everything looks great. It's 14 to nothing. There's two, three and outs. And the next thing we look up and know, it's uh, 27. 24 or whatever, you know south in a dog fight and so they they get ahead and Then they can't hold them. They drive all the way down and score with 10 seconds to go in the game So that's just wasn't consistency
1: and that's what the biggest thing is for this Jaguar program tonight Hopefully we'll see a four-quarter performance the same way we did in Stillwater, Oklahoma and in Monroe Getting their first ever win at Louisiana Monroe on the 7th of October and Tracy the the struggles at Auburn coming off the bye week, I think that you look at the first quarter, LSU has the number one total offense in the SEC. And the defense can only hold Auburn for so long. It's kind of like that dam that continues to to spout off cracks and cracks. And sooner or later, you know that those cracks are going to ultimately lead to a huge flood.
7: Don't I understand that Through the first quarter and a half, Auburn never made a first down. Through the first three drives, had negative yards.
1: But why not run the football? That's one of the question marks that I have because you're coming off a performance in which you were able to gash the number one defense in the SEC that had not allowed over 100 yards rushing in. Lord knows how long, and then all of a sudden Auburn doesn't pass the ball until maybe the third or fourth possession, not having the football, but just not coming out running the football with the backs that they have to give themselves a chance to bleed a little bit of the clock and to be successful to test this LSU defense.
7: I'm, I'm like Coach Freeze. I don't know if anyone saw, but I was just looking right here. Quote, we had no answers.
1: Yeah, I, So was that's stuff. one thing
7: that ha- people, I think, like about Coach Freeze. He'll just call it the way it is. If it's brutally bad for it, him and his staff and the team, he'll just call it that way. And it was just a bad night. We, what, what's the old joke on the three students? We, we couldn't throw the ball or we couldn't run the ball or we couldn't catch the ball.
1: That's it. <laughs> the three phases right there of Auburn. Now, with Ole Miss coming to town, Jordan-Hare Stadium, is where this game is taking place. And it could be a bigger game in regards to Hugh Freeze being the former Auburn coach and the energy that Auburn's going to give knowing what this game means, not only to getting their first conference win, but to, to Hugh Freeze beating
7: well, Ole Miss you, One, you would hope. You know, I, I know there's been times I'd go when I'd have – Legal cases up around Lee County or something. I'd stay at Coach Dyess' farm, and of course that meant we'd get up and go to the Torch and have breakfast. And he was telling me that uh, he felt bad about my senior year because normally in that Auburn, Alabama game, you don't have to do anything for people to be ready. <laughs> yeah. All right, you don't you don't have to. It, it, it's natural. And he was complaining about the fact, you know, look, I thought everybody'd be ready, and we weren't ready. We came out, and Alabama was ahead. Uh, Let's see. It wound up uh, 17-15. I, I think they were ahead 17-3 at half or something, and then you know, we scored and fought back and had a chance. And uh, so that's the thing. In this game, you would think that Coach Freeze doesn't really have to do anything to have the people, the players, mentally sharp, having watched film, focused, and ready to play. Now, I want the fans. To have the same enthusiasm, and that's tough. You know, you, you you see them get beat so bad in Baton Rouge, but if they have the same enthusiasm and the same energy they had against Georgia, that's ten points. That was worth ten points in that game. That enthusiasm never let them get them get down. That big that big momentum, that big M, that it it was there. So, I hope the fans are ready. It's a stripe out game. You know, you're supposed to know from your ticket. You wear white. Or you wear orange, you wear blue. I think it's orange and blue, so yep. the stadium will be striped. So something to keep the fans in it because they can help the team.
1: Yeah, and that's a lot of juice and energy that we saw coming out of that Georgia game at Jordan-Hare, one of which Auburn jumped on the Georgia Bulldogs 10-0. to And the fans were felt by the players in regards to the energy being reciprocated. And, you know, if it's not for Georgia, just being Georgia, the number one team in the country, Auburn takes that win away from the number one team in the country and and Scott yeah. You can relate to to what this home game is going to mean to the Alabama Crimson Tide taking on Tennessee at home and having an opportunity to, to do some things and and to, to, to Let everybody light up that cigar and, and to get the smoke going at Bryant Denny Stadium and it's a lot of fun for the fans to be able to know they're able to light it up and to to not hear Rocky Top time after time after time. <laughs> there's nothing better than going to an Alabama-Tennessee game than only hearing Rocky Top only played like maybe <laughs> six or seven times. About once. It, well, you know you're gonna play it at the beginning of the <laughs> yeah, game the and that's <laughs> enough. Time. That is enough because it drives me nuts. But oh yeah, because you wake you up Sunday so
7: morning uh, going. I <laughs>
1: <laughs> what you think? What you think, Scott? What you
4: think about that? I hate that song. <laughs> I was up <laughs> one time. the old I was getting ready back in my TV days, and I was up there doing, a, you know, a preview on like, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, I went in the weight room lifting weights, and they had that Rocky Top song, and it was being sung by, I mean, as a parody by some terrible <laughs> woman. I mean, they just kept it on and on, on on a loop. And finally, they ran me out of the weight room. I couldn't stand it any longer.
1: Yeah, that, that is pretty frustrating. I, I do like it, Tracy and Scott, when you're only able to strike up the band a minimum amount of times from a, a Tennessee standpoint. And I, I know that Alabama, Scott, defensively was, was able to to try to, tackle K.J. Jefferson, but Nick Saban said it, man. It's like a gnat on a cow's rear end, the way <laughs> the upper body strength that K.J. Jefferson was able to show, sh- shaking off Terrion Arnold and just being able to, like Nick Saban said, make one of the best individual plays that he's seen as a head coach. I
4: agree with it. I was sitting there looking at it, so Arnold's got a good, a, a good glitch. Route to him. He gets to him. He gets his hands all over him, grabbing. Him. Uh, Jefferson knocks him off, grabs him again. Jefferson knocks him off again. <laughs> In his uh, forward progress, I like, stopped two or three times. I thought the official would blow the whistle, but apparently the official made a great call and let him keep, you know, keep fighting it out. And finally, he breaks away and makes a great play. So, uh, Coach Sater was certainly right about that.
1: Yeah, I think that. As far as getting home and Dallas Turner stepping it up and Deontay Lawson coming back from that ankle injury, I think that the only thing, the flip side of that, is what Nick Saban did say, you know, hell yeah, we're going to fix it, the offensive line not being able to protect it. He felt that, yes, it can get a lot better. Yes, it will get a lot better, and it's going to have to get a lot better as this season progresses, and I think that's been – One of the biggest question marks for this Alabama season coming in because you hear joyless murder ball being echoed by some of the offensive linemen earlier in the preseason and just the cohesiveness of this offensive line giving up 20 plus sacks on the season is something that you're really not used to seeing if you're Nick Saban especially and you could see it in his answer in yesterday's press conference.
4: Well, again, going back, and I guess the listeners hear me say this all the time, and I'll just keep saying it, the offensive line, as Tracy knows, is not five individual positions like receivers and running backs and so forth and maybe secondary guys that are covering passes. Mm -hmm. It's one position played by five people, and four of them can have great pass blocks or great run blocks, and one of them can miss his block and the whole thing looks like a jump jalopy with no wheel. Uh so they all gotta act as one and play as one. And it's just not been the case with Alabama as we talked about earlier if you're just joining us, you know, Caden Proctor, the you know, left tackle, who's a terrific gonna be a terrific player, but he just was outmatched Saturday and so they made a change and put Elijah Pritchard in and, and things got better there. So look for Alabama to find a combination up front that all five of them are doing what they have to do at the same
1: time. And that's going to be critical, doing and being on that same page. Scott, you mentioned like the Rockets in New York City. You have to be on the same page, and you have to know – where the blitz is coming from, how to pick up coverages, and there's going to be, you know, you can live with one sack a game because that's ultimately going to happen. A defense shows Oh, yeah, you would be happy to, to only have 11 in a year. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> would be happy just to, to let Tennessee get home one time. But Tracy and I were talking, Scott, about Joe Milton III having one of the strongest arms that we've seen standing flat-footed, but only being able to complete a hundred yards against Texas A&M. I'm hoping that there'll be some carryover for that against Alabama and him only being able to complete a hundred yards worth of passing against this Crimson Tide defense on Saturday. Because if that's the case, the Crimson Tide are going to feast and the cigar smoke is going to go and start early at Bryant Denny.
4: You can see, as we talked about earlier on the show. Alabama made no changes at halftime last year with their defensive coordinator. They didn't make any, and, and Hooker just stood there and just destroyed Alabama. that is, That's not going to be the case with Kevin Steele. Uh, he's going to bring them, like he brought them in the fourth quarter on Jefferson Saturday, he's going to bring them, uh, bring the pressure, if you will, with Dallas Turner and so forth. He's going to bring the pressure and see if Hooker can handle it. and Not Hooker, but... Uh, you know, Milton, Milton can handle it and if he can't, you're gonna see more and more of that. But there's not gonna be uh, there's not gonna be any Tennessee quarterback standing back there uh counting on his fingers till he has to throw the football.
1: Well what we'll do, Scott, is we'll kind of preview and get our predictions on the third Saturday in October games that include Auburn and Ole Miss and Tennessee and Alabama and of course tonight's Tuesday night game that's going to stand alone on ESPN 2 for the Jaguars. We'll, we'll give our predictions coming up here for the final segment of the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday here on WNSP 105.5.
3: Hi, this is Bo Manning, a co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide. And
0: illustrate WNSP 105.5 Mobile. Welcome back to Chavez Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com, and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner.
1: Welcome back to the final segment of Chavis Furniture Talking Football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner here on this beautiful Tuesday evening. And Tracy and I here on the campus of the University of South Alabama where the Jaguars getting ready to take on Sunbelt Conference foe, the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Tracy, the – You know I even know a cheer. Come on with it. Yeah. Come on.
7: S-O-U-T-H-E-R-E-N, Southern Mississippi, U-S-M.
1: See there? He, he's been listening to a little bit of the black and gold there. of Southern. I Minnesota. hope they don't do that much and, and tonight. I was gonna say, t- tonight, we definitely <laughs> hope that there's not much for the black and gold to cheer about.
7: Cage the Eagles.
1: There we go. We need to cage the Eagles and go ahead and find a way to get another win in Sunbelt Conference play here.
7: And I'm going to pick home. the Jags.
1: I, I, I like that prediction. I know Vegas says 18 and a half point favorites, but I like South Alabama as well. Scott. I know you probably won't be here, but you'll have a chance to, to catch a little bit of it on ESPN tonight.
4: Yeah, I think uh, South, a big moment for them, big night for them. I think they win that. with face-